Well, now we are joined by Porik Horkin, he of the Horkin Garden Centre family, horticulturalist, keen gardener himself. Porik, good morning. A very good morning to you, Pat. Now, um, climate change, it's all in the news, of course, with COP27, but you're saying that perhaps we're seeing it in our own gardens. We most certainly are, Pat. And I took a walk of my own garden this morning and even it has surprised me the amount of summer flowering shrubs that have come back into flower again. So I'm thinking of plants like Mexican orange blossom, which normally flowers in June and July. It's back in flower in November. I have a lovely plant called the Chilean lantern, which produces these beautiful lantern flowers in May and June every year. But it's back in flower again in November, Pat. And plants like lupins have come back into flower. St. John's wort, the yellow flowering hypericum, and plants like fuchsias are back in flower. So it's been an exceptionally mild autumn. Met Aaron are telling us we're going to have temperatures up to 17 degrees tomorrow. And with, with with the rainfall and the mild temperatures, You can see it in your own lawns. Lawns are growing and many summer flowering plants are fooled into thinking we're back into late spring, early summer. And hence they're back into growth and back into flower. And I predict, Pat, that we're going to see daffodils in bloom this December and snowdrops in December. And even plants like camellias and rhododendrons that we associate with springtime. I think you're going to see some of them flowering between now and Christmas. Well, I've got some camellias <laughs> in the garden. I'll keep an eye on Do. them because I always kind of hoped they'd be that they would, um, you know, the buds would come out in time for Christmas, but they never do. So, no, well, it depends. They might this year. They might this year when we get this mild because camellias produce their flower buds in September. You'll see the buds on them. And if we get spring like weather over the winter period, which we're certainly having at the moment, they're going to. You'll see the odd flower that will pop through. Now, the the, the thing is, does it change the kind of timing of the tasks like the pruning of the roses? Yes. uh, the, The fruit trees, for example. Absolutely. Normally, in the middle of November, I would be advising to be pruning back your plants, pruning back your fuchsias and hypericums and many of the plants that I mentioned earlier. This is the month that we traditionally associate with putting the garden to bed and pruning back all of those summer flowering plants. But pruning, of course, is associated with new growth. So when we prune, you tend to trigger the plant into coming into new growth. And particularly with the mild temperatures, that's is the wrong thing to do this November. So my advice really is to leave the pruning of spring flowering plants and summer flowering plants until January of this year. So Mm. enjoy the colour, I suppose. Leave the plants alone. Really what we'd be looking for is a bit of frosty weather, cold frosty weather. Temperature certainly below 10 degrees Celsius to put the summer flowering plants to bed. And and Porik, how many days of a sharp frost does it take to kind of reset the clock? It normally only takes a couple of nights of sharp frost uh, because many of the plants I mentioned are deciduous, like the fuchsias, like the hypericum. They'll drop their leaves once we get into that cold weather and that really puts them to sleep. So yeah, I'm, not ho- I'm not saying we're, we're looking for frost just yet, but certainly the colder temperatures and the frosty nights do put the garden to bed okay. and put the, the summer plants to sleep. OK, in spite of all the timing, though, it is time to put the tulip bulbs down. Yeah, tulips are one of the one of the bulbs that we plant as late as possible. So I'd give it another week or so to plant tulips because if they're planted too early, and particularly this year with the mild temperatures, they can be affected by a soil-borne virus called tulip blight. So plant those over the next couple of weeks. You've got about another three or four weeks to plant tulips, and they're beautiful in pots and containers and gorgeous in flower borders and beds. Okay, loads of questions. Um, This one, I cover my vegetable beds with seaweed. Is that enough Mm. to fertilise the soil for next year's crop? Seaweed is an excellent fertiliser and now in November it's a brilliant uh, it's a br- brilliant 
plan to put over the beds because first of all it'll suppress any weed growth and we are seeing weeds growing at the moment so put a good thick layer of seaweed about eight inches right across your vegetable beds it'll decompose over the winter period pat and work its way into the soil and then in early spring when you're planting particularly the hungrier plants like potatoes and anything in the brassica family like cabbage or kale add a little bit of organic granulated fertilizer but a great idea to put seaweed across your vegetable beds now Everything in my container garden is being eaten except for hydrangeas. There are little round holes. Any ideas what might be causing it? Well, funny enough, Pat, this autumn I have seen more caterpillars, more green fly, more pests in the garden than normal, simply because of the really, really mild temperatures. Um, and what we're seeing are things like flea beetle. Flea beetle produces these small pinhead head holes in the leaves of plants. Now we're coming into winter. Most of the insect activity will start to dissipate. So I wouldn't bother treating the plants or spraying them. Okay. Many of the insects die away as we come into the cooler weeks. My houseplants, busy lizzie, mint, basil, calla lily uh, and more have a lot of small black flies around them. I'm wondering okay. if Pori can give advice on how to get rid of the flies without damaging the plants. Okay, so this is a small fly called the, the gnat fly, G-N-A-T. It's a black fly, very similar to a mosquito and, he, and it lives in the compost, right on the surface of the compost. And if you're keeping your plants too wet, which I, I'm guessing the listener has the, the compost quite moist at the top of the pot, you encourage the amount of gnat flies or black flies onto the surface of the compost. And they lay their eggs in that wet compost and you get a, a new generation coming on again. The trick is to let the compost dry out between watering. And we're coming into that time of year where houseplants, you need to reduce the watering with houseplants. So simply just allow the surface of the compost, an inch or so of the compost, to dry between watering. Watering once a month at this time of year should be more than adequate for all of those plants. Uh, Just a comment from a gardener, a landscaper in Hoth. Daffodils are up here already, says uh, that gardener. Um, Bindweed has spread to about 50% of the area of my garden, which is 8 metres by 8 metres. There's minimal existing planting, just about 20%. I've tried spraying many of the green growth of the bindweed to little effect. I would cover by tarpaulin or other forms of sheeting. Would that work? Does the cover have to be able to breathe? And how does one weigh down such sheeting? That's from Brendan. Yeah, so this is convolvulus or bindweed, which is a perennial weed. It grows, it's a herbaceous plant. It literally disappears in the winter and re-emerges every spring from a very strong root base. Now, if the listener lets it allows it to grow in early spring. Indeed, put a little bit of fertilizer on the bindweed in April. Encourage it to grow really vigorously and then treat it with weed-free 360. That's a systemic uh, weed control. It'll enter the system of the plant and go right down into the root and kill the the Mm. bindweed at root level. So I have found that very effective. So weed-free 360 applied around June is very, very effective on the control of bindweed. I found some slowberries on a walk near my home. Is it too late to eat them? No, not at all. And generally, slows are are better after a night's frost. So leave them, test them. If if there if you can if you uh, test the slow and there's, you can create an indentation in the skin, they're ready for picking. But generally, they're better after a night's frost. Now we haven't had any frost just yet, Pat. So maybe if the listener just tests the fruit, um, if you can make an indentation, they're ready to harvest 
or if they're not ready, mm. leave them. And after the first night of frost, they're absolutely brilliant. Uh, Sorka tells me that her summer flowering clematis has had a second flush of flowers and Isn't shows that? no sign of stopping at the moment. <laughs> uh, my wisteria is looking yellow. What should I do? Asks Ken. Well, not a thing, Ken, because wisteria is a deciduous plant. It, it drops its leaf through the winter period. So what you're seeing is perfectly natural. The plant is responding to the lower light levels. It'll drop its leaves in about three or four weeks' time. So just leave it alone. You can do a little bit of pruning. If there's a lot of whippy growth on the wisteria, you can certainly shorten that back. But apart from that, just leave it alone. Leave it be. I'm pestered by false widow spiders around the garden. They can bite, so I'm afraid for the children. What might be attracting them? That's from John. Well, they're just becoming more popular, Pat. I mean, we're, we're seeing a lot a lot of uh, the willow spiders. You'll see them in the media all the time. And it's Are really they just native down. to here? They're not, and but they're they're becoming more increasingly more popular. Again, down to the very mild temperatures, and and spiders breed in the autumn time. So, Pat, that's why you see them. They're breeding, and spiders in general are breeding at this time of year, September, October, early November, particularly with the milder weather. But remember, the spiders do so much good in the garden. They do hoover up a lot of our garden pests. And uh, they are carnivores at the end of the day and eat a lot of aphids and green fly as well. Can you advise on a small to medium-sized magnolia for an area of garden that receives afternoon and evening sun? Oh, lovely. Well, one of the smaller varieties is a beautiful white variety called Magnolia stellata. It only grows to about six feet. It's slow growing. Um, And if you pop into your local garden centre, this is November is an excellent time to plant magnolias. So that's a really nice variety. Susan is another beautiful variety, magnolia, Susan. Um, both of those are very compact, easy to grow and will make a small shrub after quite a number of years. And a final one. My apple trees in the garden are infested with scale insects, whatever they may be. What can yeah, I do? Yeah, scale. Well, scale, scale, like the name suggests, Pat, it's like a, it's like a hard uh, pest. It is a hard pest, like a shell that grows on the bark of the stem, a little bit of methylated spirits will get rid of them. So pop into your local chemist, get a little bit of methylated spirits, a paintbrush, and literally just paint them onto the branches and that will get rid of of scale. And a final, very quick one. Uh, Looking to set up a vegetable patch, can I have some advice on where to start and what to plant first? Okay, well, you can plant at this time of year if you want, but you, vegetable gardens are better done in a bright open area, relatively sheltered. So south facing, west facing would be ideal. Remember, vegetables will grow in raised beds as well or in, in areas like the veggie pods or shrugs. So um, it depends on the, on the location, Pat, but ideally south facing, relatively sheltered. And at this time of year, you can plant garlic, Japanese onion sets, Kale, winter cabbage, winter lettuce, speedy veg. There's quite a range you can actually start with. Pora Corkin, thank you very much. News Talk Breakfast with Kira Kelly and Shane Coleman. In association with AIR. Weekday mornings at 7 on News Talk.